Hey, farmers and landowners, this is Damian Mason coming at you with a question. Have you ever had disease or pest problems cost you money by reducing your yield? Well, of course you have. We fight this, right? That's what production agriculture is all about, is working as best we can to put out a great yield, and to do so, oftentimes, you've got to overcome disease and pests. The problem is we usually treat those diseases and pests after the problem, right? So what if you could do it proactively? What if you had a tool that gave you predictive analytics so that you would know if you have things like corn rootworm, uh, soybean cyst nematode, sudden death syndrome? Well, you have that tool now. It's from Pattern Ag. Pattern Ag doing predictive soil analytics way beyond just the old days of sticking a probe in the ground every few acres and saying, hey, wow, we got some nitrogen deficiency here. They'll let you know if you have pests and disease. Go to pattern.ag. That's www.pattern.ag to learn more about this awesome technology and how it can help you increase your yields by taking care of diseases and pests before they cause you harm. Well, greetings and thanks for being here for another fantastic episode of the Business of Agriculture podcast. Today, we're talking about crop insurance, the evolution of crop insurance, where crop insurance is going, where it's been, and more importantly, how it's going to evolve to be better for the farmer. You know, crop insurance is something that we didn't really have 40, 50, 60 years ago. Now, over 90% of the acres farmed in the United States of America are insured. We're also getting more into livestock insurance programs. Why does this matter to you if you're in the business of agriculture? Because crop insurance has made it so we have guaranteed revenue to keep the farms in operation and therefore have a sustainable food supply. Sustainable meaning it'll be here tomorrow, the next year, and the next year. I'm at an industry event for a company called uh, Agrisampo, which is the merger of two companies. We're going to hear more about that. And I've got three experts talking on different directions within the business of agriculture as it pertains to crop insurance. I've got Tyler Ehring, who's the assistant VP of crop technology. Technologies. He's going to talk about how we're using data. You know, we hear a lot about data in agriculture, all the stuff that's being harvested from combines and the GPS and the drones, how we're using that to create a better insurance product and therefore a more profitable situation for operations. Billy Moore, Senior VP of Agency Management, he oversees the management of crop insurance agents. You know, everybody and their sister sells crop insurance. He's the guy that oversees that. Margie Alanese, who is the Senior VP of Operations and communications. She's also the founder of Farm Her. You might know about that. She's going to talk about the new direction that uh, crop insurance is taking and how it's going to be more applicable in the future. Thanks for being here, everybody. Who wants to lead off here? I think we're going to start off with Billy Moore. Billy, you are an industry veteran. You're the guy that brought me to this conference to speak. Um, first off, uh, Agrisampo. I just got to tell you, at the grocery store in Arizona, they have Japanese people that make samples of sushi and they try and lure you in to buy it. And the guy doesn't speak very good English. So every time I go in there, he says, Sampo Sushi, Sampo Sushi. And I got the contract for Agra Sampo. And my wife said, oh, my God, Damien, Sampo, are they going to give you Sampos? And I said, I don't know. But anyway, Agra, Agra Sampo, what the hell kind of a name is that? And where did this come from? Well, Sampo came from our parent company, which is a Japanese-based company. Uh, yeah, do they give away sushi? They do not. Uh, at least we add haven't that to the yet. Price. We can add that to the list of perks for employees later. That'd be great. Uh, but uh, AgriSampo is actually the combination of the merger of uh, diversified crop insurance services and ArmTech crop insurance. Okay, so two companies came together. I know that I've done some work with uh, crop insurance. Real quickly, you know, the person listening to this that maybe is in the cranberry racket, and maybe they can't even get cranberry insurance. 
insurance? I don't know. Maybe somebody listening to this that's in farm machinery sales that doesn't fully understand crop insurance. When I was a little kid in the 1970s, there were not crop insured acres the way there are today. Give me a little history on crop insurance. Okay, that's a great topic. It's a topic I like to talk about very much because our, our industry over the last 25, 30 years has been a tremendous success. Uh, the evolution of the crop insurance program since the mid-80s uh, to where we are today uh, has changed substantially over time. We've had the evolution of the revenue, revenue products, uh, which increased production quite a bit. We've had the addition of countless um, crops, uh, plans of insurance uh, that cater to different growers. Uh, the bringing in of commodities that you know, 20, 30 years ago would have been unheard of to insure are now insurable today. Uh, pasture rangeland and forage, which is kind of a newer product in the scheme of the industry. It's been around about 10 to 12 years, uh, you know, as a newer product, the livestock products. Uh, the industry has changed uh, in my 27 years, it's changed substantially. And, uh, you know, we're continuing to evolve uh, to serve America's farmer today. So. And you're, you're roughly my age, a little older. We can go back and say, okay, there was a time when most people did not insure their acres. They didn't because of affordability, because it was, uh, or ignorance. Uh, and I don't mean ignorant in a bad way. They just didn't know what was available or did it just not make sense? Was it affordability? Was it the economic return wasn't there? Was it that it didn't uh, have enough uh, marketing behind it? Why were acres not insured in the 1970s? Okay. That's well, okay. A, right that's, now, right now, today, we got almost all of our acres are insured. Ninety plus percent of all eligible acres are insured. That's correct. Okay, so there's about 360 million cropland acres of the 900 million acres in the United States agricultural system. Uh, most of them are range. We'll talk about that. But of the 360 that grow the corn, soybeans, wheat, the main crops, and even the specialties, you know, the oats, the flax, the canola, whatever, camelina, most all of those 95 probably percent of those acres. You're getting close to the mid 90s. That's correct. Okay. What was it 50 years ago? 50 years ago, you would have seen substantially less. Uh, you know, you probably would have been around the 10 to 15 range. I could speak more to the late 80s, early 90s, when 20% of all eligible acres were insured. And we probably thought it was a big deal to get to 20%. We did. And now if we got to where 20% weren't, we'd say this could be catastrophic. Absolutely. Because the numbers have changed? Uh, the numbers have changed. The adaptation of programs have changed. There was a tremendous educational effort by the industry. Uh, you know, the industry was tremendously successful once um, the government decided to subsidize it more, uh, once they got more creative with underwriting uh, to make it reach more growers and be tailorable to more growers. Uh, you know, that's one of the cool things about a crop insurance policy is an agent, when they sit down with a producer, if they're doing things the right way, uh, they are out there tailoring and writing a prescription specific to that grower. So that's probably the number one thing behind the success is the flexibility in the program to allow it to really wrap around a grower and protect them and to protect what's important to them. Margie, maybe this is a question for you. I think it is. Um, I'm a devil's advocate. I'm the suburbanite. I live in Schaumburg, Illinois, and I read an article uh, in, in a news publication that said that my tax dollars are going to pay these farmers not to farm, or worse yet, I'm paying them not to plant, prevent plant, and I'm paying for their insurance acres. How am I not enraged as the Schaumburg resident that's given this money and it's going to you, the crop insurance industry? Yeah, well, well, first off, at this point in time, crop prices, commodity prices for corn and soybeans are so high, everybody is doing everything they can to plant their crop. Yeah, to not, to not use crop insurance. Absolutely. Yeah. That, that is not the goal. 
Uh, crop insurance, though, is, is an incredible program. It is the cornerstone of the safety net in agriculture in the United States, right? So it is, as Billy said, a super successful program. It's uh, been uh, part of the federal government since 1980, and um, it is, as a taxpayer, one of the best ways that you can spend your dollars. Because are you like me and you like to budget your money? You like to know where your money's going when, got right? It, got Crop it. Crop insurance is budgetable. Okay. Obviously, uh, prices swing from year to year with commodity prices. Like this year, commodity prices are up, so that makes premiums rise for all of our revenue programs. However, that's a budgetable amount versus spending huge amounts of money on disaster payments. Okay. Right? So the so idea is it's better to insure better to better to insure the premium than to rebuild uh, the burnt down uh, the burnt down complex. Absolutely. Although and I must say here, Margie, and I think my listeners are okay with this. Somebody also once talked about the most important investment we can make as taxpayers being unemployment. And by expanding unemployment, it was good for the economy. That woman was, uh, well, it was Nancy Pelosi. But anyway, uh, and, and most people said, wait a minute, that's a good investment to expand unemployment? Not sure that she agrees with that. I agree with you. Better to insure the risk than to have to rebuild the building. And, and think of what we've just gone through with the pandemic. What I would say to that person is, do you like food on your grocery sure. store shelves? Got right. It. Having the risk managed in agriculture overall and ensuring that safety net so that farmers can continue to plant year after year, because that's what they're there to do. They're not there to collect crop insurance. They want to yeah. plant the crop. Yeah, yeah. farmers love to produce stuff. Um, and so they, they do these, uh, these insurance things, obviously, to keep it so that they can be, remain solvent. What is the cost? And I'm not, I'm not talking to the farms because I know that varies by geography, by acres, by crops planted, et cetera. What's the cost? Do we have a, you know, you can look at that U.S. Department of Agriculture thing. And in the USDA, as we always point out, 80% of USDA's budget goes for free lunch, free breakfast, nutrition programs, SNAP, aid-dependent children, WIC, et cetera, et cetera. We, do we know how much of the USD budget is actually subsidizing premiums for the crop insurance? So... Google tells me that t today um, the federal government crop insurance program costs taxpayers nine billion dollars a year okay. which is big but think about how again disaster payments add up and you have no control over those you okay. cannot budget for those right uh, and, and again it does swing as commodity prices swing <clears throat> because the value of that crop goes up so significantly so it, and as far as um, USDA programs. Mm -hmm. Crop insurance is the next biggest program. It's the next biggest spend within USDA after nutrition. food programs. Okay, so the nutrition programs are the number one spend out of the USDA budget, which I think is about $100 billion a year last I looked. And then after that comes, uh, comes crop insurance. All right, you've been around this for a long time, and I want to get to Tyler and talk about technology. Changes that have happened just in the last five years. The person driving down the road right now listening to the business of agriculture, Billy, is saying, yeah, I, I, I do crop insurance. I understand that grandpa didn't, uh, but I do it because I just think it's smart business. And that person probably doesn't realize how much has changed. How much has it changed in the last five to ten? It has changed a lot in the last five to ten years. You've seen uh, the increased subsidy for the livestock programs, which has made them grow astronomically. 
Um, you've seen more ad adaptation of unit structures and the addition of new unit, unit structures. What that structure. mean? That means how a farmer ensures his operation. Do they lay it out section by section, farm by farm, or do they roll items together, therefore taking some of the risk and accepting some risk across their operation, which allows for a cheaper premium and cheaper rate? Okay, so you just talked about a, a, an instrument that makes it so that, okay, it's pretty simple. I've got a car. Uh, I can insure that car. Now I've got a car and a house. Now I've got a car, a house, and a liability policy. I got a car, a house, a liability policy. I just also bought a farm. Car, house, liability, farm. Oh, wait, I also bought a, a strip center that I use as an investment property. My insurance needs change. And all of a sudden, if I was doing each of them individually, I'd get, I'd get the hell whacked out of me. Your point is, it's a bundle. It's a bundle, yes. Mm -hmm. Bundling all the farms into one thing. Now, I'd also like to step back to the question Margie took a second ago about the, about the industry and the scope of it and the scale of it. Another thing about a private delivery system that's absolutely wonderful is it brings the element of reinsurance to the market. So what you're doing is you're removing risk from the taxpayer of a program potentially ballooning. If the only other option out there was ad hoc disaster, mm -hmm. we don't know the scope or scale or how big it is going to be out there. But when it's controlled to a crop insurance program and you're bringing reinsurance companies, which is essentially insurance on insurance, when you bring reinsurance companies to the market, you're taking risk off the taxpayer mm -hmm. and putting it on to insurance companies and they're accepting that risk in exchange for potential gain. The $9 billion that the United States Department of agriculture spends is really in matching subsidies. If I was a farmer and I want to insure, essentially 50 to 60% of that is paid for by the government. I pay about 40% or 50% of the premium myself, right? Correct. Okay. Um, when you talked about all the different packages and instruments, etc., there's a new thing. We're going to get to Margie on that and a little bit about the livestock. But I want to go over here to how it's changed because we harnessed Tyler in here. He was trying to get away. And I said, no, you got to be a part of this. You're a younger guy. And you are in this industry and you're supposed to be the tech guy. What, why do I need tech? This data thing, you know, I can still go out and harvest crops, but now my monitor is as important. I had a farmer tell me my monitor in my combine is as important as any other piece of equipment because I need to know the data because I want to know what I'm doing next year based on this year's performance. How does that help insurance? Yeah. So. I'll give you two examples, um, and it really all starts with the planting side of it, right? So your example was harvesting, but for planting, there's a couple of benefits that a, that a, a farmer can have. Um, the first example is, is I farm a square patch that's 80 acres, but there's a waterway that goes right through it. Yep. Well, if I just assume that that field is, is, is 80 acres, and I always report 80 acres, yep. I have equipment on my tractor, most likely that will tell me exactly how much I plant. So yeah, you really only planted 78.2, so there's 1.8 acres out there that's not being planted, so why am I paying for insurance? So the, the first part about the monitor you're telling me is, um, I'm not gonna pay for unnecessary acres insured. Correct. And if you spread that over enough, extrapolate that over enough acres, um, where there's contours and terraces and waterways, et cetera, et cetera, exactly. ditches, you're gonna tell me, hey, you know what? Um, I just took 8% uh, of your acres out because they aren't actually farmed. Correct. And the inverse of that is if you clear land, let's say you have it butt up next to a timber, and that, that 80 acres is now 85 acres, if I have a loss in a claim, I'm only going to get paid on that 80 acres versus the entire... I got uh, it. Tyler, there was a, a movement among auto insurers about a decade ago that they wanted to put devices in our cars and they said it was going to help us because they'd be better insurance. Really, it was just tracking to see whether I speed and how I drive. You know what? I don't know if I want Big Brother riding along. Are you Big Brother? 
We are not big brothers. I think you are. You just told me you're watching what I plant, what I don't plant. Are you monitoring my population? At times we do monitor population. What if I accidentally get a little bit too close and I swing the boom over and I got some chemicals in it, it goes over a drainage ditch? Maybe are you going to tell, are you going to go run and tell the EPA that I just put some chemicals in a drainage ditch? We are not. Why do you hate farmers, Tyler? <laughs> <laughs> we're just trying to make their lives a lot easier with data that they already have. <laughs> all right. We're going to hear more about all this. And I want to talk about the evolution of crop insurance. But before I do that, I want to share with you some great work that we're doing over at Extreme Ag. If you like what you hear at the Business of Agriculture, please check out the work we're doing at Extreme Ag. There's no E on the front of it. It's just extremeag.farm. Five progressive, success-minded farmers that represent a whole bunch of acres that are doing product trials, new practices, all sorts of interesting stuff you can learn from, insights, information you can bring back to your own farming operation. And if you're not a farmer yourself, you'll want to see what some of the most forward-thinking and experiential farmers are doing in the United States of America and Canada. That's right. We've got a Canadian doing some trials for us also. Go to extremeag.farm. Check out the cool stuff we're doing there. I'm the host and producer of Cutting the Curve podcast and a whole bunch of videos. Go check it out, extremeag.farm. All right, evolution, Margie. Yeah, yeah. Evolution. Um, you were in, what is it, rain and hail, you told me. You spoke as though I would know what that is. Is that a company? I know what the, I know That's rain and hail are, the rain and hail are both <laughs> forms of precipitation. Yeah. One of them comes down liquid, one of them comes down as a hard uh, thing the size of a golf ball and hits you on the head. What, what did you do before this and what have you seen in your career that you're excited about when it comes to crop insurance. Yeah, absolutely. Because it's not a very exciting topic, frankly. Yeah, so so we're AgriSampo. Rain and Hail is another AIP that exists in this industry. AIP, you're doing industry vernacular. Uh, the listener may not know what that means. Yeah, so we're AgriSampo. Rain and Hail is another approved insurance provider that works with the federal government to deliver the federal program. And there are 17 of those. There's 13 of them. 13 AIPs, approved insurance providers that can do all of this. And now the thing that I think is most interesting, it's one thing that the average person can be like, okay, I get it. That guy insures, that gal insures all 2,000 of their corn and soybean acres. That way they're not devastated when the derecho comes through and knocks everything down and they can live to fight another day and my food supply then will be safe because they can farm again tomorrow. Tell me about livestock. Yeah. When I was a kid, uh, I think if you had, uh, if, if a hunter shot one of your deer, uh, your, your cows thinking it was a deer, uh, you could collect um, lightning. But now you're telling me that there's insurance beyond catastrophe on livestock. Absolutely. So there, since starting in 2012, the federal government created a livestock program, which no different than the rest of the crop insurance program, um, provides revenue protection okay. for fed cattle, feeder cattle, swine, and also uh, most recently for the dairy industry. So it is a uh, absolutely uh, growing program. It was slow to start in early years, and it has really taken off in more recent years. So it is a program that, that we are constantly monitoring, we're constantly writing more of, um, and it's it's a very real thing because we look at it and we, we think that this market can get just as big as the, the crop market. All right, beyond, okay, I got a feed yard in Kansas with 5,000 head of steers and, and heifers on it, and I'm feeding them out and I sell them uh, you know, on the rail, all, all of us kind of beef sort of thing. Um, I can go out and do hedges and I can do all this kind of thing, what insurance are you providing me that I can't do just through a good marketing program? Well, the the difference that this is is the federal government program. There's that subsidy there that you don't get if you're going to a okay. hedging program. Is right? it just is it protecting me from catastrophic losses? In other words, a derecho doesn't usually come through and wipe out my feeder yard. 
uh, where it might do that to my cornfields. What am I insuring against besides catastrophe of a hunter shooting my cow or a lightning strike? You're you're protecting against price declines in your cattle. Okay. So the government has done this before, and it wasn't through an insurer. Um, I've seen it before. Billy, I'll go to you. You're the one with all the history in this. I think it's called milk or it's called uh, uh, MAP or something. Dairy Margin Protection Program, DIMP or something like this. They were protecting margin anyhow, and it wasn't through an insurer. What changed? Okay. Um, in the dairy side of the industry, there's several different dairy products out there uh, that are a little bit more tailorable than that program formerly was. You know, you can tailor it right down to the specific operation, number of pounds produced, uh, the margin between the uh, price of the sold product and the expense side of the equation. Okay. Those are all plugged into the product and really pencils out basically a, an insurable margin. And product, you, you're talking product meaning an insurance yeah. plan. Correct. Um, so the the, the deal is on those other things. I'll go back to dairy since I know a little bit about that. They also kicked you out if you had a certain amount of revenue or a certain number of pounds produced. Wasn't it only applicable for a small to mid-sized operator? Yes, I believe it was. Well, okay, right now, if I'm a big-scale dairy farmer, can I insure? Yes. I, I milk 10,000 cows in New Mexico, and I want to be insured through uh, AgriSampo's dairy uh, insurance program, and I can get it. There's not a size limitation. That's correct. Okay. And I'm again, I'm insuring for margin. Yeah, margin. you're insured margin. Yep. Okay. Yep. And, okay. And so then you also tell me uh, margin. In New Mexico, I might have a way different feed price than uh, if I am in Northeast Indiana. There's not corn grown in New Mexico. I've got it coming out my ears in Northeast Indiana. Does that matter? Or is it just, here's what we think it should cost you to produce a gallon of milk? It's going to be figured off the market. So that's one thing that would be a flaw in the program to some people, in some people's regards. But Meaning, meaning it's, going to, it's, not, it's going to be based on the dollar price of milk, yeah. not on my price of production, which is going to vary based on where I am. All me- measures, as far as the input side, all measured off the commodities exchanges. Okay. So fluctuations in the market. What does crop insurance need from a technological standpoint that is not right now? What is lacking in this entire industry that you're sitting there saying, I'm the tech guy, I know about data, I'm all about the data, but you know what we're still not doing? It's okay to be self-critical of your own industry. What does it need that it's not got? I think we still have advances to make on the production side so that the, the yield monitor in a combine is only so accurate. I think there's advanced ways that we can get more accurate with that data. One thing that I've noticed when the farmers that I've rented my land to, the yield monitor always seems to be underperforming national averages when I ride in the seat. And that's when they keep saying, I don't know why you're charging me so much cash rent. This field ain't worth a shit. You know, look <laughs> at this yield monitor. And then I have a feeling if I hopped out and his farmer buddy got in there, he'd bump it the other way so he can say, I'm a better farmer than you. Look at how many bushels I'm getting per acre. What do you think, Tyler? Uh, there could be some of that going on. Well, I mean, I want you to take a stand here. Am yeah, I getting no. screwed? No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you'll have to talk to your, <laughs> your farmer about it. All right. So we need better. Um, we need. You think that we're not still as accurate on yield um results as we could be. I think we've made a long way, we've, we've made a lot of headway even in the last five years for that accuracy, but I think we've got a long way to go. What technologically do you think would make the insurance program, I, I see inefficiencies in everything, and so do you. What is inefficient right now that could be fixed with the next delta, the next little of, of uh, technology and crop insurance? 
I think just getting more users of the platforms. I think it shows more seriousness to a lot of the, the governmental. Um, Tell me, a user of the use. platform, you mean that I'm a producer in Nebraska and I don't give you the information, or I don't? What do I? What am I? What, who's doing? Who's not using it? Correct. The, yeah. So the actual farmer themselves, right? So the, a lot of times, like uh, we as humans don't like change. Yeah. Um, so we're used to doing things the same way over and over again. Got it. Versus stepping outside of the car comfort zone a little bit, utilizing that data to get more accurate. Um, to get those benefits. Got it. Margie, you're sitting here and I know that your communications person, you're saying, wait a minute, don't forget to tell them this. What did these two just not answer that you're wanting to answer in the last two uh, questions? I asked him about new packages and programs and products for uh, livestock and then we talked about technology. What is it you want to chime in about? I think I would go back and say that this program is ever evolving and it is a true partnership the most successful one that in, in my opinion, and I think a lot of people's opinion, that there ever has been between the federal government and private industry. You're, you're kind of carrying the torch here. We, we are a, a <laughs> private company that delivers a federal program and we do it successfully. And, and we compete on our service, right? We compete on how efficiently and quickly we can pay a claim. And so these things are really important, right? And that's why private companies do it. And it is the hallmark of a successful program that we've had for, what, 42 years in, in the federal realm. All right, well, I want to talk about that because uh, I sat through your sessions. Every speaking engagement I do, I try and sit through at least a couple sessions because it makes me smarter. I watched uh, Billy and then I watched your CEO get up and I heard him talk about 95, 95%. And what I essentially was gathering from that is every dollar that comes in, you pay out 95 cents of it. That means you're not working on a whole hell of a lot of margin. No. We are not. Okay, so Bill, expand on that, because uh, if I only had five percent margins around the around the uh, De La Rosa farm and the uh, halls of executive entertainment, Bow and Bike Publishing, Properties by Mason, I'm thinking of the other company entities that I have. If we only worked on five percent, I might not be able to have my winter home in Arizona. <laughs> you probably wouldn't, uh, but uh, you, you have to look at the scale of the industry and, and profit in crop insurance is extremely complex. Um, we sign a standard reinsurance agreement with the USDA, the, the Federal Crop Insurance Corporation, uh, you know, part of the USDA, and um, we get paid to deliver the program, but we also take a stake in the risk-bearing, and that's where we make our money is on the risk-bearing side of it. So meaning um, you actually make a little bit more money than what was posted on that screen by actually having uh, a cleaner book? Some years uh, make more, some years we make less. Some, some you, years you, we lose money. You're short-handed yeah. to you because you, you you insured the nine worst hit counties in, uh, in uh, Hurricane Alley or in uh, Tornado Alley? Some years uh, it's, it's less because there's a drought in Texas, a derecho in Iowa, and a hurricane in Florida. You get multiple occurrences across the board, the West Coast could be a wreck. And, and you would uh, make you would make less or lose money in those years. Yes. Why do you think that five percent of the acres aren't insured? What would be the reason? I, I can't think of any way. Okay, I'm a small business person. If I can get the government to pay sixty percent of a premium that guarantees me net revenue, really, it is net. It's not. It, it guarantees me break even at worst. It probably is net positive profitable revenue. Why would I not? Why is 5% or 6% or 3% of the acres not insured? They're just opposed to it morally. They're too dumb to understand. They don't have the money to even afford the 40% of the premium. Why is it? Uh, I would say a couple of those would be uh, reasons that that might be. Uh, some might be in a position that they choose to self-insure 
and just don't want the hassle of the paperwork and dealing with an agent. Uh, but I think in most cases, you either find somebody that feels like they're diversified enough in their operation that they're managing their own risk. You might find a grower out there that uh, they feel like they've invested in center pivots and irrigation and other means of risk management, and they choose to self-insure there. Okay, so they, they think I can control the weather, I don't need insurance. Yeah, that's right. Is it too complex? Is there a reason, Tyler, that they're not doing it from a complexity? Is there are you wanting to ride? Do you think that you being big brother and wanting to ride along with your little black boxes, is that the reason I'm not insuring? No. I, I don't think so. Uh, I mean, I think like the, the reasons he mentioned are, are a, a handful of them. And again, some of them just want to take that risk on themselves. They look at their, their past production history and they say, I don't need this anymore. Then ne the next year is when an event's going to happen. They Imagine that. Tyler's big tech and he doesn't think he's the problem. <laughs> Imagine that. Well, and let me add one more thing. There is, there is a small amount of acres out there that are underserved, that maybe there's not an agent in their area. Maybe there's not a program to cover the types of crops that they grow. So Insurance deserts. There, there mm -hmm. is some of that. And that's that's always something that we're working on USDA with. I gotta think though, in this day and age, when I can get on my phone, I gotta think that that ain't much of, that's probably not much of the acres. It's it's not. You're talking about a generally small amount of acres, but, but you mentioned cranberries earlier, right? A cranberry program. There always hasn't been a cranberry program. So there's constantly, there's a 508H program. That's that's another acronym. It's specific to crop insurance. It means nothing to everybody else. It, but what it means that nothing does, to me. It, it means the world to us. It, it, <laughs> it brings new programs to the table through external submitters all of the time. So okay. there's always growth in the programs and the crops that we cover. And as that continues, that number will creep down a little bit too. Uh, I, I, that's good. Thanks. You know what? I like you're like a, you're like a summarizer of the things that we don't quite get to. Margie, I think they should keep you around. All right. Uh, I think we're going to wrap up here with the last couple of uh, thoughts on this. Uh, where the evolution goes, I think that everybody has their their, their idea. Um, I don't know that you ever get past 90 some percent of anything, right? You're not going to ever insure every acre. Uh, does crop insurance go away? Do we get to where the, there are less great big farms? And the great big farms say, you know what? We have hedge fund money out here. We think it's better for us to just be applying capital to um, expansion of acres and bringing in new technology and using drones than to spend that money on crop insurance, which could be 20 bucks an acre or something, let's say. I'm just thinking in my part of the world, my neighbor farmers in northern Indiana, are they spending 20 bucks out of pocket per acre per year? It's pretty close. Okay. So instead of that, I'm going to choose to not do that. Does that happen someday? Go first, Tyler. I don't think so. I, I think that the risk versus the reward of doing that is is not going to meet that, that budgetary item for a lot of farmers to know that they have that solid revenue coming in because of the program. And what if it's investors like you entertained yesterday, you brought a guy in that's essentially assembling uh, investors to buy farmland. Is that person going to say to his investors, you know what, the smartest thing you can do is have an operator on there and make sure the condition of that operator is that he insures. Is that what's going to happen? Or does he say, we don't give a damn, we're investors, the, the operator does whatever he wants? I think times change and I think, I'm not going to say never. Uh, that it never goes away. Times change, cultures change. But this is the most successful public-private partnership that's ever existed, and that's what I believe. It's a tremendous, uh, tremendously efficient delivery program. It's very good for the U.S. taxpayer. Uh, it ensures that we have uh, food safety and security in our country. Yeah. It's a national security issue. So I'm not going to say never, 
Does the program have to change and adapt to agriculture? Absolutely it does. Growers are getting bigger. They're getting more complex. As you mentioned, hedge funds come into the market, you know, and owning, you know, different farming operations, and, and that totally exists. But still, as long as the government steps in, they provide the subsidy that they provide, um, they allow us to be able to continue to do what we do to be, bring private reinsurance to the market to remove that risk off the taxpayer to secure what we've got out there. It's going to be around. Okay, so Margie, I'll just go ahead and pick it up right there. You've got a lot of uh, ex- uh, experience with this. Um, things change in Washington, D.C. We're already completely outnumbered. We've got to go and just about, uh, you know, buy prostitutes to get a farm bill passed every every uh, four or five years because there's so many non-ag representation uh, issues in Washington, D.C. Does crop insurance not get funded? Does that become a, a hot button where the anti-ag crowd um, teams up and says, you know what, there's not going to be any farm bill if you insist that we pay for crop insurance. Does it go away? I, I don't believe it ever fully goes away. As Billy said and Tyler said, everything evolves. Everything but these farmers are getting rich off of crop insurance. They're out here driving brand new F-250s and, and, and King Ranch version F-250s. And and uh, my poor people in Queens, is what I'm talking like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez here. She says, my poor people in the in Queens uh, can't, even, can't even afford uh, Kansas Spam. There, so get rid of it. There will always be naysayers. There always has been in this program. $9 billion is a lot of money. Right? Do you think AOC's people eat Spam? I don't know who eats. <laughs> I don't know. But right. uh, so if it did get not funded, would it go away? It, it will. It is the single most important piece of the agriculture safety net. And right now, I think we're seeing more support for crop insurance than we've probably ever, ever seen, seen before I, because of the pandemic, because of the visibility yeah. of of the, the food supply. On, so, on, on this, you and I agree. In yeah. fact, that was essentially where I was going with it. I think that right now it doesn't happen. It doesn't go away because when people saw... When people saw vacant shelves, they got scared a whole bunch and said, whatever it takes to keep ag flowing. All right. What did I not ask that you need to cover on the way out the door? 20 seconds or less. Tyler. I think the biggest thing is we just need need to to get more people involved in in some of the technology programs that are out there. Uh, We we have the capabilities. We can make their lives more efficient. We can make their agents' lives more efficient, and we're we're ready to use them. What did we not cover on the way out the door that you want to make sure you share, Billy? You've been in this industry your whole life. You've been been a crop insurance agent. You were the guy that was out there looking at somebody's field saying, here's what we can do for you, and now you're overseeing a a company that's trying to get – better service to the agents what did we what did we not uh talk about on that well we're still on the tail end of bringing two companies together and and we're building a brand and we're building something we think is going to be an innovator out there in the space and uh you know we want to make sure that uh, we're evolving to meet the ever-changing growers needs all right well let me ask you that this is the last one for you Mm -hmm. Uh, we're not going to make it a commercial here but answer me this uh, there's there's zero differentiation of product. I can buy from you what I can buy from all of the other 13, 12 uh, AIPs, approved insurance providers. How do you how do you look different to me when it's the product's the same and the price is all the same? You can't charge differently or less than everybody else, right? Well, everybody's going to step right up. If you ask 13 AIPs that question, you're going to get the same thing. Service. We provide the best service. Yeah, right. That's I, absolutely right. what you're going to get. Because no, no, nobody ever says, you know what we really do? We suck. If you call us, we'll never call you back. Nobody ever says that. But what I'll also, I think, a grower and an agent needs to see is they need to take a look at the companies that are really innovating and trying to bring market differentiators to the market that yeah. do support the grower that are really effectively training their agents out there to deliver the best service and product 
and tailor it to the grower's needs the best. Do you think that an agent really can be a, a business partner with a producer in that regard? Like, like I think that you need a you, you need a, a banker that is going to stick with you <laughs> for all nine innings, and you need a crop insurance company that understands that uh, how to make sure that you're not going to lose your ass. Uh, the agent absolutely needs to be a part of the farmer's dream team. Is the way I look at it. All right. Ms. Margie, the communications director for this company, what did we not get out of those two that you want to close us out with here? You got 30 seconds. I'm not sure that this is a heartstrings type of podcast, but I spent a lot of years in this industry. I, I spent some other years doing farm her, and every single farm you go to that, that is at the scale that they have crop insurance, you see what a need there is for this program. And you know, remembering why we're here to deliver this program, to support all of the people out there who are working so very hard at their own businesses, whether whether they're working on a family farm or a corporate farm or whatever, this provides dollars back into rural communities and, it, and it's sustainability. So that's important to me. Yeah, and I don't disagree. I mean, we always see like the Hurricane Andrews and the Hurricane Michaels and Hurricane Katrina's and then obviously the the, the influx of cash comes in on insurance and it, it, it's life-changing and it's, it's city and and, and geographically changing, it changes everything. And there have been situations like that in agriculture where you, you'd lose whole rural communities were it not for this. So I don't disagree. Her name is Margie Alanese. Uh, Billy Moore is the old wise sage sitting here with us. And then Tyler Ehring is the, uh, the technology guy. If people want to learn more about this, where do they go, Mr. Billy? Margie, what is our URL? I'm going to sound silly here. Go to agrisampo.com, A-G-R-I-S-O-M-P-O.com. All right. If you want to learn more about any other topics that I cover here or don't cover on the business of agriculture, you know what? Drop me a line. I'm always looking at making sure I'm creating uh, new podcasts and uh, covering new topics that you can learn from and apply to your business. It also makes you stronger within the business of agriculture. Till next time, thanks for being here, Agrisampo. Till next time, dear listeners, thank you for being here. And I'll see you next time on the next Business of Agriculture. Hey, thanks for being here. This episode of the Business of Agriculture was brought to you by Pattern Ag. You've heard me talk about Pattern Ag because I think it's a pretty cool concept. New technology that allows you to predict the problems you're going to have and therefore treat them before those problems cost you money. What kind of problems am I talking about? Pests and disease. Things like cordon rootworm, uh, sudden death syndrome, cyst nematode, and a whole bunch of other bad things that happen out there in the field that can cost you money. Guess what? Pattern Ag will let you find out ahead of time if the disease or the pest pressure is there and therefore you're treating it before it costs you any money. What a great concept. Go to pattern.ag, that's www.pattern.ag to learn more about their product, their technology, how it can make you money, save you yield, and all also, where you can find a rep that can come out there and do the work for you. Pattern.ag.